Welcome to the Founder Friday podcast series from Canopy, where we interview inspiring entrepreneurs and innovators about their experiences and seek to find out what makes them tick. This series was recorded live as a webinar and then converted into a podcast so we can all enjoy it away from our screens. All right, let's dive into this episode. We are live. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here today. And thank you to Sophia for being the star of today's Founder Friday. All right, Sophia, thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you. All right. So I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Pedro. Uh, I wonder if you could introduce yourself quickly, Pedro, to everybody who's uh, watching today. Hi, everyone. Thank you, thank you for coming. Um, well, I have 25 years of entrepreneurship and uh, general management of companies. I came from the marketing industry, later merging technology, and uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, digital transformation, very people-centric approach. So, um, and I love to meet people as interesting as Sophia. So, it's a pleasure to be here today, learning from her. Now, I want to doubly thank Sophia for being here because it's enabled me to wear my Boston hat and to bring an extra jug of coffee for the rest of the thing and kind of channel my inner Bostonian. And for those of you that don't know, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Boston. Canopy was born in Boston. Um, Matt, the co-founder, is still there with Kelly and Anna. And, uh, uh, you know, I also got married in Boston at night just over nine years ago. So it's a big part of my heritage. So it's wonderful to have Sophia here talking about BGI and other things. So Sophia, tell us a little bit about BGI to start off with and what sort of go from there. Okay, thank you so much for both you and Pedro uh, for being here with me today and thank you so much for the kind invitation. Uh, so just like you, BGI or just like Canopy, uh, BGI also was born uh, out of MIT, so very Bostonian. And uh, they're still part of our acceleration program uh, that is still there. So just to give you a little bit of context, how did BGI uh, born? It was MIT who did a cluster and they do clusters in all continents. And the cluster that decided to do in Europe to scout for technology in Europe and bring them to, to MIT, they decided to do in Portugal. Uh, we are very fortunate in Portugal to be part of the European Commission and geographically, uh, even we, if we are in Europe, we are pretty much close to America. And so that was something that put us in a, an advantage. Also, our our history of good relationship, diplomatic relationships with several countries. And so that was the reason why they chose the cluster to be in Portugal, actually headquartered in Lisbon. And this started actually as a partnership between the Portuguese government, uh, the Ministry of Science, Technology and Higher Education, um, led by the Professor Manuel Eitor and, and of course, uh, MIT. And Professor Charles Cooney was actually uh, designing the entire thing uh, with, with Gonzalo, our CEO. And so that's actually how BGI was born back in 2010. This is the story. You make 2010 sound like so long ago. I guess it was a decade, right? So, so have you been... You have, have you been involved in the program all the way through or just more recently? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, actually, I, uh, before that, I was working more in corporate. And then I decided to, I was a little bit um, trying to find something different from uh, the corporate world. And that's when I joined BGI in 2016. So I, I, I've only been there half the way. Okay, yeah. fantastic. And, and your role now within the organization, how, you know, what's your leadership role now? So at this moment, BGI started, as I said, with this program with uh, MIT. And, and this is actually called, at the beginning, it was the MIT Portugal Entrepreneurship and Innovation Initiative. And we actually had a partnership with Caixa Capital from Caixa Geral Deposit, which is the largest public bank we have in, in Portugal. And they had one part that was uh, precisely to invest in startups and BGI was, was helping managing it throughout our program. Uh, but that was uh, at the beginning and that was our 
our first program right now that's one of 10 acceleration programs and one of 33 different programs because BGI now is divided into three areas. Um, in 2000, actually in 2013, we became a company, BGI uh, SA, which is a anonym society, uh, how do I say this in English? Uh, it's an incorporated company, pretty much. Um, uh, and basically... Pedro can always translate for me. It's all good. Don't worry. It's, uh, it's experience and, on this call. <laughs> yeah. And so basically when we, we start doing that, um, we start... You know, pretty much uh, uh, increasing our portfolio. So right now we do three main areas. One part, which is education. And so if you want to be an entrepreneur, we can help you out being an entrepreneur. A second area, which is if you are an entrepreneur, uh, I accelerate you and I get you uh, funding opportunities and contact with clients and mentors, such as Pedro, for instance, or such as you. And and then um, a third part that you are looking for entrepreneurs, and this could be both investors or corporates. And then we have specific programs for those. So at this moment, what I do at BGI is that I'll have, I help designing and managing. Of course, then there's project managers to all the projects, but I, I help on the, on the, on, on, let's say the strategy of how we are going to implement it and do a lot of business development needing, uh, which means pretty much just getting more uh, clients and potential people we can collaborate. Okay, fantastic. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you so passionate about in BGI? Uh, well, I like to say that BGI, we are a group of builders. And when I say this, uh, uh, human resources for BGI is a huge thing. Like we only hire people who are, you know, uh, doers. Uh, we want to, to make it happen. And sometimes there might be even not the perfect way, but at, at the end of the day, we make it happen. We never get an excuse. To, if you need a client or if you need 10 introductions, uh, we are going to get it for you. Uh, we do all the lens to do it. And we are all in this together because in the end of the day, and uh, you work with startups, so you, you know this, these people, most of them have... Uh, you know, uh, get out of their jobs. Sometimes uh, it's very hard. Sometimes you might have some grants who help you out throughout, I don't know, three, four months. But then after that, what happens? So, um, and and most of the time, we work with Tech. BGI is very, it's actually, I think it's one of the very few accelerators in Portugal that just focus in deep tech. Um, and, and we have one accelerator just for that. And, and, and these guys, some of them have been conducting research for, uh, you know, 10 years. So it has been your life work and make it, uh, you know, come to reality to the tech transfer and make it, you know, in a successful way. It's hard. So I think that's, um, and then of course we have this Bostonian DNA and it's impossible not to uh, be caught <laughs> in all of these. I remember when I entered at PGI, in 2016, where it was my first time at, in, in, in Boston uh, and with MIT Network. And uh, I, was, I was just asking, you know, some of the researchers and, and fellows from MIT. And, and I was just saying, like, yeah, I came from corporate world. I've been there. Um, I want to do something different. Like, why would you go to the corporate world? Like, you know, you need some experience first and then for you to run your company. It's like, no, you, you should, you know, just try it because, you know, the, the faster you fail, the, and, and in Europe, we're like failing. No, we, we can't fail. Like, <laughs> it's best for your family and your name. So you can't fail. And, and, and it's interesting to see that there are actually some people who are, um, who are open to fail. And, and that's already very scary because you do fail. Most of the times you will fail. That's just the reality of the numbers, the statistics. So I think it's when we hire someone at PGI, we want to try to find someone 
who looks at this and then gets like, mm, um, no, that's 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 too risky. We, we look at people that somehow are as crazy as we are, but at the end of the day, they're productive, they're loyal, they're dedicated uh, to the cause. And that's exactly what we try to find out. And that's why I'm so passionate, because I work with people like this. I was going to say, it sounds like you just described Otis perfectly there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Otis is, Otis is, is a, a builder, that's definitely so just before I turn to Pedro for his questions, I think we should reflect that we're both a little on brand today. So obviously I'm I'm Bruins brand and you are, and you show your, there you go. BGI. So absolutely all the way. <laughs> Pedro, did you bring your own brand with you today or are you just going for the studio to look at the books and stuff? Yeah, yeah that's, that's just the book thingy. <laughs> so, so what do you want to ask Sophia, Pedro? What, what well, uh, first, of all, first of all, congratulations for your amazing work, work and uh, results. Um, I have a, a set of questions, but that's that for the first one. You talked about the passion and how HR is important for you as a team when you hire a team. How does that reflect on the entrepreneurs that actually you help uh, develop? So, um, and uh, I don't know if we have here any uh, PhD or any professor from university, uh, but we always like to say that we work a lot with them because uh, deep tech you know, usually came from people who have been um, in a lab or doing research for a long time. And this is the kind of people that typically apply to BGI program. I mean, right now we have a lot of people that are just, uh, you know, young entrepreneurs and have ideas. But the, we still scout a lot for those guys because this is what, you know, enters the market, scales really fast. So this is my target. And typically these kind of people want to, uh, they want to put the idea on the market, but they still want to teach and they still want to keep their, uh, let's say, regular activity, right? And so um, then this leads me to typically what happens that this professor will have a student that somehow got involved in the project and this is going to be the new CEO. It's not at the beginning, but will be. Uh, so these kind of people uh, typically uh, that we try to look for are very enthusiastic. They, they fall in love with an idea or a project that the professor was already guiding. Um, and typically they, they, they are in a, in a, in an age or at least they're, at least they are in a certain period of their life that can still be a little bit risky. And so they are very keen because they were students for not so long ago. They are very keen on learning everything and applying everything, all the tools that PGI gives them. We typically have a one very intensive bootcamp where it's basically hands on. We just go and we uh, identify like the entire BGI team and our mentors that are going to be helping the startups. We need to work with these guys. And so they have to tell us everything about the startup and we need to give them all the tools to, you know, do the technology transfer. And so the kind of guys that I'm looking for are guys that uh, won't be afraid. They, they, and this is what we interview Rita Marcus, uh, the for, former PV uh, CEO and right now Secretary of State in Tourism. And she was saying something very interesting. And I think that's very true for BGI as well, which is you look for someone who is very humble. Uh, that knows how to get uh, feedback from everyone around, but somehow a little bit confident. She, she used the word arrogant. Uh, not sure if that's the word I would choose, but that somehow know that the technology is good is, and are going to defend it. So if I talk with someone and if they show me that they really trust their idea, uh, that's already halfway. And then if they are coachable or not, uh, and that's the second uh, part. If they are coachable, that's the kind of person I'm looking for to work with. Great, great question. 
So, so this is quite an important thing for me, the coachable piece. You know, one of the things we talk about in Canopy is uh, the light bulbs. So we say, you know, the old joke is how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. And so we look for those people who have the light, light bulb in them and that you can, but, but I don't know a better way of describing it. You know, how do you, how do you define coachable? It's like, it's not just a willingness, right? It's not just an aptitude. It's, it's like this special source which says, I want to. Right, but but how do you describe that? Um, well, I I I'm, I'm thinking right now of some entrepreneurs that really show a lot of coachability. Uh, so let's say that right now I'm telling you uh, that in your pitch, for instance, or on your term sheet, you have this one line that you should definitely have it there, uh, or these, or you could look into information. And these sort of guys are the ones that don't just do it immediately. They typically consult uh, several mentors. Uh, they typically ask help to the accelerators, namely in this case, BGI or any other enabler. And uh, w- once a person tells them something, they, they, they don't uh, take credit out of it. Oh, it was this guy who said it. He knows nothing about our industry. No, it's, it's a guy that whenever, whenever the person was, uh, whoever the person was telling that, uh, them a, a feedback, they will go assess it and check with other people uh, to make sure that this is really um, something that they should improve or not. And after that, they make an informed decision, but they act on it. This is being coachable. Another second thing that for me is coachable is I, I've put them in contact with you, Stuart, for instance, and we know we are you are very occupied. All the mentors are. Everyone has a lot of things to do. And you are giving the time to this guy for to give them feedback, to provide them or share your knowledge or your expertise. If this guy doesn't answer you one time, doesn't put you on top of priority when, you know, you ask him something, that's also showing that it's not very coachable because it's not giving the value. So it's someone that knows how to give value to the people that can, uh, you know, give them expertise and feedback, but at the same time, you know, uh, look really deep into uh, stuff when someone tells them to. Uh, so it's someone that can be guided, but guided in a co- very conscious, own conscious way, I would say. Nice. Nice. Now, I see we've been joined by Tiana. Tiana, it's great to have you on the panel. Thank you for coming to ask some questions. I should also caution you, Sophia, that Tiana speaks even faster than you do if you let her, okay? So just uh, let's try and keep up. Tiana, what sort of questions have you got for Sophia? Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, so first apologies. I, I basically just woke up here in Brazil. It's 9 a.m. and received email from Stuart. So I'm with my like first morning coffee and trying to, to understand what's happening. But from uh, what uh, what I was uh, hearing so far, it's an amazing project. I've been working with uh, with tech startups. My background is software engineering for more than ten years, so this is definitely super interesting for me. Um, uh, what what uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Sophia, is uh, you were telling that mostly the founders are either people who are very academic into these uh, researchers, super super tech, uh, and uh, on the other hand, they are super young entrepreneurs who just have some ideas and enthusiasm and, and dreams that they want to make happen. Uh, I also have experience with many people who, who are um, already deep into business, but not in tech field, but they just simply know their domain very well and their customer base, and now they have some idea how they could upsell or just you know like improve their business by launching a tech product so this is like the third group that i also identify the people who want to launch a tech startup and um, i wanted to hear from you like uh, uh, which type of founder if we say we identify those uh, usually um, 
gets out of this adventure with uh, with big success and exit uh, from from this adventure. <laughs> Which horse yeah. runs the best race? I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. So to answer you that, um, I might have to go a little bit uh, back. At BGI, when we started uh, in technology readiness level, that can go from one to nine, let's say, uh, at least in theory, uh, BGI typically looks for at least four uh, upwards, which means that at least you need to have a, a, a prototype, not a prototype, but a proof of concept or an MVP. So if you don't have that, you are still not ready to come to BGI. And if you do apply for BGI, we can forward you to other incubators, very good in, in, in Portugal or elsewhere, if you are uh, international, uh, that can help you on the ideation process. But you, if you, if you are, if you want to be an entrepreneur uh, in the tech area, but you still don't have an idea, or you might have an idea, but you don't know if it's going to work or not, we advise you to work with uh, Ubi Medical, PCE, any other uh, in Portugal that can help you out. Um, and what we can do is, what we can do is a little bit even earlier than that. And that we do because we have a huge partnership with the IT, the European Innovation uh, Technology. And in that sense, what we try to do is if you are a really good engineer student, we help you out or we put the seeds of what it could be for you to want to become an entrepreneur. And we do that through summer schools, through hackathons, through uh, impactful internships, uh, several of activities and tools that we give them. But actually, we don't do the part between that and, uh, and the MVP. That's something that PGI doesn't do, um, mostly because uh, we also work a lot with, with investors and investors won't invest before that. And one of our key differentiation points that we find you really good deal uh, flow in terms of a startup for a potential investor. And if you are way too early, it's very difficult for me to help out with someone to put money on you. So that's the main reason why I don't do that target. Then the other two that you were telling about, I'm a young entrepreneur. I already had an idea and I want to do something. As, uh, BGI is divided in two main areas. One of them is deep tech. And that's our, let's say, it used to be our core business because of MIT. And then we have another one, which is food and sustainability, where we start to create spin-offs, meaning let's say that uh, right now the three of you are startups of BGI. And all of you work in the supply chain in the food industry. And you came out, one of you with IoT system, the other one with a connected network for suppliers, and then the other one that's connected, I don't know, a life cycle analysis for transportation. I have no idea. And what I do is that I put you together. Uh, I do an innovation project with you. We might do a demonstrator with the three startups. And then if you work, I sell your product as a package. And so this is something that we are doing a lot of, of in food and sustainability, which is uh, systematic approaches. And, and then in the end, you became kind of, you are not one company, but you are a consortium and you sell as one company. And so these are the kind of two areas we are looking for at this moment. Entrepreneurs typically already have their MVP or proof of concept. That's right. interesting. This is very interesting how you put people in these collaborations. Yeah, great idea. Yeah. So, so we've had a great question from Annie in the in the chat over here, which is which is quite appropriate, I think, for the moment. So, it's obviously a different scenario we're all playing out at the moment in the shadow of the the COVID nineteen thing in different countries at different at the same time. And and his question is really, you know, how's your how's your program changing as a result of this? And um, I guess particularly around the funding side. So, so two things like how are you structuring the program and delivering it in this lockdown period? And then what are you hearing and seeing from investors as well? 
Yeah. So um, uh, two things in here. So the, the, the two, first of all, I think that's everyone all over the world that works with startups immediately. Their first reaction to these was, okay, what are my, the startups in my portfolio that can fight coronavirus or that can make people's life easier because of coronavirus? So we launched a video immediately with the startups that we had that could help on coronavirus. We sent uh, a PR to media and some uh, government stakeholders and hospitals that could potentially be interested and the media to give visibility. And then uh, we also uh, immediately uh, sent an email, another, uh, and we are actually launching it today. So the video of startups that can help you out, they don't solve coronavirus, but then can help your life be easier during this process. This was the first thing we did just to give visibility for those. But of course, there are a lot of startups who won't be in neither of the videos or neither of the situations, which is I don't fight coronavirus and I don't make your life particularly easy because uh, most of our startups are B2B. And so what we have created, uh, we are doing uh, boot camps online. And what we have created was a program called Why Not? And the Why Not, it's basically, I go to the main investors in Portugal, uh, I don't know, uh, Bind Ventures, uh, Armilad, uh, Shilling Capital, all of these guys. And we find out one investor uh, that will meet them. Uh, the program has not started yet, but we'll, we'll start. And we, have to, we are right now aligning all the investors that are going to do that. And each startup has eight sessions with different investors. The investor has no commitment to talk with them, but they have to tell them why not they would invest in the startup. Why wouldn't I invest in you? And so this gives, first, it gives really good contact with no commitment. It's like the weirdest dating game ever, right? Like, what? It's like the weirdest speed dating game ever. Just go into this room and somebody's going to say why they won't date you, right? It's just... Uh, yeah, yeah, but... How does uh, that work? But, but, but let's, let's say that I have a meeting with you and in the end I have no reason to not invest in you. Yeah. Then it's game over, right? <laughs> yes, but... Uh, <laughs> But I think really to with no because uh, I think that I feel like sometimes investors don't want to meet with the startups because they don't want necessarily to commit to invest, and I mean they don't and and because this is like, like a more if I do a personal interview with just you online, no one else is here. It sounds like uh, there's some sort of commitment. But if if the if it's set on the on the basis that nothing is going to happen, I think it's easier. You can get feedback. Uh, potentially you can get a, a good link for the future. And in terms of clients, um, what we, uh, in June, we are going to launch uh, a series of workshops that are going to be online just for sales uh, to help out people in during this process. And BGI with uh, some of our uh, startups, namely the ones from our core uh, program, which is BGI Accelerator, we have been helping them out. We actually hired one person just to help out on the communication and sales strategy that is going one by one startup to, to help out uh, on these topics. And in the short run, this is what BGI managed to do um, to help out with the guys that cannot you know, be on the forefront and actually uh, take some advantage of, of the situation, the sad situation that we are uh, in right now. Okay, thank you. Pedro, what have you got? Uh, I've got a specific question. It, it's uh, like merging two different areas. You're coming from MIT, which is a huge school, and now you have this COVID-19 scenario. How do you foresee the the interesting the interest for the investors to really invest on the education uh, sector, 
because it seems to me that is one of the biggest uh, sectors in the society okay. where digital transition is, um, I would say, kindly not so well developed or there's still a huge potential to, 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 to increase. Um, how do you see it? How do, how, how do you find it? Sophia, before you answer, I should tell you, Pedro has a vested interest in that question because he's involved in an education project right now. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> so, so, in terms of investments, I have to say that um, I, I don't know if you know Mariana Mazzucato, but she was helping out uh, Carlos Moedas while he was in front of EIT because actually he was the father of EIT. And the EIT, I have to say, EIT is a little bit Portuguese because the person who decided to go uh, with it uh, was Duron Barroso when he was in front of European Commission. And then lately, the guy that was in charge of the innovation part was the European Commissioner um, Carlos Moedas, which was also a Portuguese guy. So I have to say that EIT is a little bit Portuguese and there is one section that is uh, very forefront and these are our public funds uh, that uh, are allocated to boost um, uh, entrepreneurship within the best students, top students in Europe. And so that's where BGI comes in. And Mariana Mazzucato says, and, and she actually has some books regarding this, and at BGI we, we, we always try to keep up with these uh, news or uh, with, with these developments. Uh, the, the, she said that some of, so, um, some of the things that don't give you an immediate return will always have to come from public funds or uh, public sources. Um, uh, just like if you want to build a trail for uh, uh, trains, uh, you, it's very difficult probably for you to have a private entity to build the entire thing or bridges. But then the way to manage it, this might be private. Um, and, so, and so the idea here, and uh, is that really the first part in the sector of education so far, and for at least what we have been working with, has been always uh, public funds. Um, and then only if, if these guys then turn into a startup or turn into monetizing the knowledge, that's only when private money comes in, and 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 I think and we do a study which is the scale up report, and and uh, Stu knows this very well, unfortunately, um, and where we study the Portuguese ecosystem and we try to analyze a, a lot of uh, different data, and it is it is the reality like there are still uh, this part of education activities is. Um, uh, corporate and uh, investors, which are the main private topics that we could uh, deal here, will only work with uh, technologies that already work and technologies that already put in the market and that immediately can show you a, re a reduction in resources or, a, or an improvement in efficiency or productivity. Anything else, it still has to be the, the, the public, public funds to do it. I'm not saying it, that's the way it should be, I'm just saying that that's the, the states uh, that we are at this moment. And, and yeah, so, yeah. I don't know if that answers you. Uh, but no, no, perfect, perfect. I was just looking for if you see a change in that because uh, I foresee now there's the, an opportunity, okay, uh, because it's, it's one of the undeveloped sectors. So it's, 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 it's interesting to actually change it uh, to... Uh, and uh, that usually attracts investors, you know, like, like like an open field, and uh, and and that's a huge open field. So that I was looking for for your for your insights. Thank and you. and I have to say something that is very interesting that we also found out with uh, studying the report is that even if uh, we invest in education um, in this kind of 
uh, you know, good education for the students. They don't have to pay fees uh, to, to go to school and, uh, and even uh, pay them these programs where they get in contact with innovation, entrepreneurship, and we have grants for uh, your research and PhD, etc. Then the most talented guys, if they do monetize their knowledge, they are going to U.S., And we are talking about a huge percentage, like around 80%. It's a lot. So we are creating talent and we are not monetizing it. Maybe if we had somehow any private commitment or any plan of follow-up with these students and with these researchers and with these talents, uh, people in tech area, maybe they would stay in Europe and maybe they could even go out abroad, but the, the headquarters of the company or something else could, could stay here, and which is not the case at this moment. Would you see an opportunity there? Sorry? Would you see an opportunity there? I see an opportunity there. I see an opportunity there. I see an opportunity where uh, a lot of companies, and, and this is true, a lot of companies that we exited and we work with, for instance, with EIT Digital, and they had some exits, and the exit, even if EIT Digital belongs to EIT, it's a European Commission or European-funded initiative, um, you know, the exits uh, go there and the headquarters move there and I mean, we are, so we are doing the, the very hard job of the public funding, uh, but then we are not doing the, the hard job of uh, private acquisition or being a little bit riskier or at least to plans with these guys that are starting to do uh, innovation projects and somehow um, having any binding tools that for the companies or for uh, European potential incentives. To, to, to let them stay here. So we are losing them. And there there might be an opportunity. And once again, I think that's why Mariana Mazzucat was working with, with Carlos Moedas. How can we keep these guys after the part that is public funding? Very good, very good. Tiana, how do you want to follow that up? Where do you want to take us next? Now, one topic still that, you know, I'm super focused on these days, uh, pivoting the products, uh, uh, pivoting the product itself to, to have a little bit uh, different mission than it used to, or just simply jumping from one vertical to another in order to stay relevant uh, under the change circumstances. Is, is there some example uh, successful from the startups from your organization that done something like that? Or, and how do you help startups maybe find their way to, to pivot the product or jump from one vertical to another and which verticals that, that would usually be. Okay, so I, I might give you a, a very successful example of a startup that uh, did what and uh, there's a lot of uh, startups who, who have to do this throughout the solution program. They started one vertical with the technology and then we need to pivot because that's, uh, uh, that specific vertical was not working. And I'm going to give you, a, I think that is more or less public example. What grid is one startup from BGI. Basically what they do is that they have, uh, let's say, a, a small device that can measure um, some, some criteria within liquids. And this can give you, uh, uh, for instance, temperature or if, you know, different levels within a liquid. And this could be any liquid. And, and at the beginning, we, we were using for water, for instance, to de determine if the water was polluted. This might be interesting if you are in a big reservoir where the water is going to supply the entire city uh, or the village or whatever, or the region. And, and, and at the beginning, this was, this was research and this was a, a professor. And then at the enter at BGI, we start getting in contact with a lot of municipalities because those would be... The, the payers, let's say the customers, the clients. And uh, guess what? The water is an important resource, but uh, there was never a huge contamination in water uh, that could lead us to think that the next, uh, well, I, I hope I'm not giving anyone an idea, but 
uh, you know, contamination to water of population. Um, and so, and so because of that, we saw that the municipalities didn't have, they didn't feel the needs of it. So we thought, okay, let's pivot. What other liquids uh, might be very profitable and people might be interested on completely monetizing it to the end? And we ended up on wine. <laughs> so everyone cares about wine. <laughs> so more than water. And so they completely pivot. They went to a completely different industry. The kind of sales and the pitch that they were doing was completely different. The market, the way to address it. They went from a public uh, sector to a private sector. Um, but guess what? Now they are extremely successful. They just round, uh, they just raised a, a new round of investment. Um, and right now at this moment, uh, some of the biggest uh, wine um, industry companies, production companies, use that use it to actually understand the, if the fermentation process uh, of the wine is good um and uh, we 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 knew that a huge percentage of it that was actually going to waste because you are not going to open each uh, pipe to see if the wine is good or not and if you do you are actually um damaging the process of fermentation with this technology it won't happen because you know it's real time on your tablet, you don't have to open it, so you're not going to damage it, and you know it in all pipes because if you do a small trial, you only know in one. So we, the idea, the way we use it is completely different. The technology, it's still the same technology. They did some small adaptations, but they had to completely change it because there was no market. I'm not sure if this is the kind of vertical you were asking. Uh, if this yes, completely, and it's, it's a great example. Not to mention that it's funny that in Portugal the wine works so well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a great example. Exactly what I thought. I mean, this one is not related uh, to to the crisis that we are having right now, but it's a great example how you can jump from one vertical to another. And uh, I think this is uh, what um, many startups need to do these days. Yeah, like well, maybe yeah. education that we mentioned. Startups that have great uh, technology for communication and collaboration regarding work or even entertainment that can actually be used for education. Well, we we also have some startups who are doing that. Uh, for instance, in in this area, um, some startups that were not being used for COVID. Uh, I, I mean, GoParity. GoParity is one of our alumni. They did. A, I don't know if you ever heard of them. If you saw them on the news. But basically, these guys had a crowdfunding platform uh, for um, uh, efficient, like solar panel or uh, let's say climate change technologies that you could, from 50 euros, just invest. Um, and then, for instance, you could invest in a school that could have a solar panel, and then in the end, you would have your return on investment. And because they are going to sell some of the energy to the grid, and at the same time, you are helping actually a building to be more efficient. And so they start with this, but because of coronavirus, they completely change it. They did a crowdfunding. They use the exact same algorithms and the platform, but they use it uh, for uh, to buy ventilators and masks for the hospitals. So we had some sort of completely change uh, the area. I mean, are they going to be kept on this uh, side more uh, of uh, solidarity or not after COVID? Not sure. But for right now, they apply the algorithm, they apply the platform for this purpose. Not sure if they're going to keep it on that after COVID. So, yeah. Yeah, great example. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So before I take you in a completely different direction, Sophia, we just had a question here from Annie around uh, the tech for COVID-19 stuff, which is uh, a group that Pedro is also involved with. And uh, he's asking, you know, are, are you aware of that? Are you involved in that? Are you helping those people? And can you help them maybe navigate some of the complicated verticals of biomedical and stuff? 
So actually, yes, as soon as I knew that there was a, a group, I entered uh, as BGI, let's say, and I put immediately, I went to the group of doctors and all the startups that we had that were working in that area um, immediately. And, and some of them, uh, for instance, we have a lot of things that are to avoid infections or to avoid uh, um, virus transmission, uh, different kind of technologies. But as soon as I knew that, I put it there. I tried to reach out. I reached out to my, uh, to my startups. And so, like, look at this group, and this is pretty much what what I did uh, back then, and disseminate throughout our startups. If there was some specific need from nurses or anything, we put it on on our newsletters. And if someone uh, had, to, you know, a potential solution or a potential approach to to go there, that but we are part of it, and we we saw that a lot of BGI alumni are also there. For instance, Innovation Cast is a platform that is being used right now for corporates uh, to, to let's imagine that you work at, uh, let's say, Microsoft. And at Microsoft, any person can give an idea from an intern to a C-level person. And so this basically aggregates and also get to some gamification for you to interact, give ideas, improve uh, bottlenecks in your administrative work, identify some problems that are within the company that potentially no one is addressing them, but they do exist. And what they did was exactly that, but to build ideas for uh, COVID-19 fight. And so, they, for instance, Innovation Cast us one of our alumni that's changed completely for, for this purpose. Well, they didn't change completely. Like the, the, the way it works and the software, everything kept the same. They just did one uh, for coronavirus. And, and in that sense, we also called out our startups to be part of it, to go there, to interact. I'm also part of it. And, and, but my, um, my role in this is being a connector. If I see that someone has a need and someone has a solution, I connect them. Uh, and that's where BGI work stays. We don't do much more than that. Okay. Okay, interesting. So here's the different direction I'd like to go in for a second, because obviously this is this is Founder Friday. This is all about what makes people in their you know in, take on challenges, be leaders, be CEOs, be founders, and stuff. So I'd like to you know I have the greatest respect for you in, in terms of the energy that you have and the kind of hustle you have behind things. And yes, you're a builder, but you also do something which I think is incredible, which is you you break down walls. You know, you kind of kick doors open and you make things happen for BGI and for the startup. So I'd I guess I'd like to openly ask you, what makes you you? How did you, you know, how did you evolve to be this kind of person? And let's explore that for a little bit. Uh, okay, so mm, don't know how to answer this, but uh, <laughs> so, uh, so to give you an example in return, you know, one of the the reasons I do what I do and I'm the way I am is because I'm an only child, and it's a it's an annoying trait. But basically, I make my own rules up. I don't like other people's rules. I'm basically unemployable. Because, you know, no matter if, if, if I worked for you and you made the decision I would have made anyway, I still don't like it because you made it and I didn't. So I have to be in charge. You know, it's kind of like the trait about me. And it's taken me a long time to work that, that stuff out, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife reminds me quite regularly, you know, about all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, how did you get to where you are? Is there something okay. genetic? Is there something in the family? Is there something in your life? Sure. Yeah, uh, so maybe I will I will explain why I left. I, I, before this, I was a professor at Nova uh, School of Business and Economics, and I've also worked uh, in the corporate world. And maybe I can tell you why I didn't fit in, and so and then why I came to this job, and now I love it. So since ever, I really like to create stuff. For instance, for my, I'm going to give you a, a weird example for Barbies. For instance, I would like to do the the clothes for the Barbies, or I would like to even build some of my toys made of wood. I've always liked to create stuff. 
uh, I'm not an engineer. I've never felt in love with an engineering area. I've always liked more social skills because I, I love to talk. I did theater for uh, uh, many years. So that's something that I really love. Um, and so I, I just, I was trying to find out in my life, what can I do with creativity and social skills? And uh, then I ended up in management and marketing. Um, and so I, I really, when I started like my first, my, my first actual job was actually teaching classes. Um, and I really, lo I really loved it, but there, and you can create some methods, uh, but somehow you have to follow the rules a little bit and then everything. So I could try to implement new stuff. But, you know, it's, it's classes. You always have to teach the same thing and the system is always the same. At the same time, I was also working at uh, L'Oreal and I was actually managing the perfumes area of Yves Saint Laurent, the brand in Portugal. And I remember to have uh, some crazy ideas. And most of them, of course, if you are in a big brand, you have uh, the team. And in this case, was in Paris, the main team that could decide what you would do. And then, you know, it would just fall down to each one of the countries and then we would have to implement. So I didn't have a lot of freedom to go crazy with stuff, uh, even if we have a very interesting budget, which is something that right now, unfortunately, I don't have. <laughs> um, and so for marketing. And so, uh, and, and then I, I, I became aware of this idea of working potentially with, with startups. Actually, what, uh, some of the students I was working with uh, were doing a consulting work for startups from BGI. So there was already a connection between BGI and, uh, and Nova. And after this, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing because I had to go through all the consulting uh, works of my students and, and I had to evaluate them and give them feedback on it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So there are moving houses. I remember that one of the, the startups that I was most in love was a moving house. It's a, it's a house that moves and right now your living room can have 40 square meters. But if you want to move it, it can be 20 and then your room increases it's insane. I was like, is this even possible? And so uh, I remember Gonzalo talking to me and said, like, why don't you come here? Why don't you do the rebranding? Um, why don't you help out these startups more in the consulting area of marketing and, and, and how to put this in the market? If this is so good, why are they they're not passing their value proposition? So when I entered PGI, my first real job was to talk with startups, understand how to basically making consulting of how can they put their ideas out there in a, in a way that's, uh, you know, how can you be the purple cow? And then at the same time, also put PGI uh, a little bit on the map and how can we be the purple cow? That's how I started. But soon enough, Gonzalo is like uh, this, this person, is a very intelligent person that always has crazy ideas of uh, how can we make, and this, this happened, this was my first year at PGI. So, okay, we are working with this rural area. Um, you know, no one wants to move to rural areas. How can we create here kind of a shopping mall, not a shopping mall, but like a, an attraction, a huge attraction that people want to go there. And so, um, and so we start ideating and four years later, we have uh, 8 million grants for creating uh, Idenia Food Lab, which is a living lab that puts together, it's an, an IKEA for agriculture. And so basically we are putting a small IKEA of agriculture in Idenia and the, the, um, the, the, the fact that I have so much freedom to go crazy to create an IKEA uh, for, for agriculture uh, or uh, that tomorrow I have to help out on neurofeedback and the next day I have to work on open innovation. And, you know, you can just have a, a zillion ideas and it still won't be enough to put everything on the market successfully. So... The main reason uh, why I, I think I'm so suitable for the kind of work I have right now, it's because I, ha I might have a lot of ideas and all of them as, as, 
as long as I prove them that they would be profitable, I can make them happen. And that's extremely rare nowadays to work in any kind of corporates. I remember that I, I was doing a consulting work for Unilever and we had some really crazy ideas. And the first uh, reaction that they had for I was like, no, <laughs> no. And so um, I think that's the why me for this job and you know, having the freedom, because when I entered BGI, we were only working with EIT Digital and BGI, and now we have, you know, 30 other projects. It's because you can just go crazy. And uh, yeah, and so I don't know if I, this explains really well, but that's the, re- the, the reason why I really like it. Very good. Thank you for those insights. Uh, Tiana, what, what do you want to ask Sophia about this kind of personality stuff? Um, I think I had a very general question, but I would like to hear Sophia's view based on everything I heard so far, and uh, I got really impressed. Uh, what's your opinion on the future of uh, corporate? Because I have a feeling all of us on Imagine Corporate, we almost get like goosebumps with something we don't uh, want to be involved in because we prefer the whole excitement about entrepreneurship. But for sure, it exists and uh, it's very solid. It's it's here. And um, then there is this entrepreneurship going on. But uh, in your opinion, with all the experience you you, ha- you had so far, like what's the future of uh, corporate? I I think that and and uh, we are we are fortunate. Like half of the people, I, I would say that half of the people that work at BGI had previous corporate experience, and the other half is more like a startup kind of of people. And corporates do give you um, a lot of a good logic, give you a good structure, give you a good organization system. And uh, even at BGI right now, we are growing a lot, and we feel like we need to put more structure, we need to create more procedures. And now that's something that the corporates have. It's good and it's good to have that experience. The problem is that sometimes it becomes so rigid that if you want to just move left or right, it's impossible and you have to be in your, in your square. So, uh, but I know, and, and we have identified these. I mean, if you look to Mark Tier every year, they, they tell you what are the best corporates for you to work on. Um, I mean, you see a lot of stories of Google and how, you know, their HR and, and how at Disney, uh, every Friday they dress like, uh, any character from Disney. So you see a lot of companies that more and more are trying to I- interact with their uh, employees make them a little bit more um, loose and creating, and this is is an important part, and creating departments that are not the marketing department, which is really good, that are for innovation. And so you're starting to have a lot of people in head of innovation that um, uh, wants to work more and and more with startups. The only problem, and this is for BGI also does open innovation programs, the only problem so far is that sometimes you have one person that, that 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 person kind of is leaving a different reality from the rest of the corporation. So what I think, and this is actually actually what uh, in my job I'm trying to do right now is creating a strategy between these, let's say this body within the companies that wants to work with innovation and the rest of the company and create champions within the corporate uh, in different, in different departments in different departments that know what these, uh, let's say, uh, boogeymen of startups are, what they do, how to work with them, how can we implement them and do pilots. Um, I have to say, w- we are working with one specific, uh, one specific corporate, Vodafone, which has been absolutely successful. We have over 20 people, champions within the organization that have been trained uh, by our mentors. 
um, they, that they are right now implementing and things happen. Pilots start running, uh, collaborations start running and it does happen in the end of the year. But I think that so far what we need is that the corporate stop looking at startups as a waste of time. Okay, it's nice, but then nothing really happens. It's just more to put on a report and, and start identifying champions within their organization. And I think that's a, probably a, it's a, identifying champions, um, to, to help these crossing this border. And I think that's a normal process for the corporate. I think it will start happening more and set loose a little bit this rigid. I mean, you need procedures. I'm not saying that you don't need, you absolutely need procedures in the organization, but setting a, a little bit loose. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the yeah, and of course uh, the uh, I mean yeah. I think that if if you want really to change, you should put put in 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 place an open innovation program. Talk with people that already did it. Talk with people who know how to do it, and and yes, and then they can help you implement it. Yeah. So, so Good, Pedro, I think, sense. I think yeah. we've got time for one more question from you, Pedro, if we may, and then I'll, I'll ask uh, Sophia to give us uh, a top tip for first-time founders who are maybe watching this call today. So, okay. Pedro, come on, the honor of the last question. Thank you so much. Sophia, it's pretty much like a, a reverse question uh, from, from Tijanas, which is, I see a lot of uh, corporate, corporate companies act, trying to act like on a pretty much more like startup mode, uh, at least opening to, as you just described so well, uh, being really open to working with startups. But I also see some startups that after becoming corporate and after a few rounds of capital, becoming more corporate and losing what made them so special and so different and so agile and so and so significant in the world. So it's quite a mysterious for me. This It's like, uh, you see, the, the, the big ones... Trying to act like the like like the, the fast ones and the fast ones forgetting what 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 review drove them there. How do you see this? Uh, am I seeing yeah. it wrong? Can you yeah. Me? So so I have to say I'm just gonna. I think we still have a little bit of of time. I'm just going to tell you a story that is pro is going absolutely in line with what you're saying. We do something like a top twenty five every year. We identify on the last five years because actually a startup by the first, let's say, definition of a startup and on the agreement we had with MIT was a company, deep tech company with less than five years. This was a description, highly scalable, very differentiated. This was what a startup was meant to be. And so we identify within the Portuguese ecosystem, what are the top 25 startups? One of them uh, was TalkDesk. And um, what we did was we went through a lot of offices to give prizes. And you would enter and everyone would be so... It, it was like a, a family office because startups are family. Not They're not family offices, but they look like family office. You enter, everyone's like, what do you want? Everyone is so nice. Oh, my God, we received the prize, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, it was a really cool environment. And then we entered in the Muraires. We went to the... Uh, you know, one of the top floors, and we entered talk desk. Me and Dottie, and we're like, "Oh my God, this looks like a corporation. They don't—they don't look like a startup." And we felt exactly what you are saying. Like sometimes they grow so much that you—the vibe is different, uh, right? It's no longer the the feeling of you know just a set of uh, people that are very. Everyone is very. Everyone knows everything about the, the business, and everyone is able to pitch and to talk with an investor and to do a sale and to do almost software development. Like everyone can do everything at a startup, and over there it starts to have more structure. And I think that's there's one. Uh, I think that it, all of this to conclude in one thing. I think that's the vibe that the startup has 
is different between a small company and a big company. And it's always going to be different because in one of them, you have to do everything. And in the other, uh, you have departments and you, you know, you are allocated to a specific topic. And that's the only topic you will probably know about. Um, which doesn't change the fact that if I go to TalkDesk and tell them that I have a startup that can be potentially interesting for them, they would be open to talk to me. And they will be like, okay, let's schedule for next week. They will have probably a department that is looking for merchant acquisition because they started like that. They have, they know how important that is. While a corporate, I can say that's like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? You need reference. You need a champion that can help you in. And the mindset is really different. Uh, they won't probably want to do a pilot. If they want to do a pilot, how much money will it cost me? What is the implementation plan? I haven't foreseen this for 2020. It's very different. It's very different. So the vibe is different, but the way they work with me or any innovation is different. And a startup will, someone that right now even can be a corporate and organize and has process as a corporate, you can still feel in the DNA that they are open for innovation while the corporates, uh, uh, yeah, not so much still. So, so there are still some differences, I think even in the big corporations. I think, Sophia, looking at my fellow panelists, you have some new raving fans for the Sophia Fernandez Club, okay? <laughs> so I hope so. Everybody today. <laughs> so it's been wonderful to have you here uh, today, and thank you so much for bringing your energy and your vibe into the, the Founder Friday series. Um, I'm super excited about, actually, who's coming in the next uh, edition next month as well and I, I wonder if I might invite you back to actually interview her yeah. so uh, it's uh, Brittany McDonough and she is the head of global expansion for Mass Challenge and uh, you guys have a very similar vibe it's quite interesting oh, to I see you know Brittany I you know Brittany already yes I come know on her. In, come on interview her I, know her I met her in Boston yes I know her yeah, she's, she's a great lady and it's a great program. It's one of my, my favorites in the world, uh, you know, non-equity program and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd love it if you could close us out today and just kind of give uh, your top tip, just one tip for people who are maybe first-time founders watching your interview today and saying, what should they be doing? What should they be aware of? Or maybe, you know, what okay. should they look for inside themselves to become a founder? I'm, I'm going to do three tips. Can I do three tips? It's your interview, man. You can do whatever okay. you want. <laughs> the, the, the first one is funding. Well, the first first one is really check if you have a, a, a market for you. And this will mean do the most stupid job of going online, see who could buy you, call these companies or call these clients, check out, uh, do a normal, uh, statistically do a normal. If you have less than 30 people, don't take conclusions. So at least 30 people talk with them check if they would buy your pro product, yes or no. Only if they do, uh, then try to find funding. There, e there are very interesting lines of funding right now, grants. I would always start my company by going for grants, not giving equity to anyone. Only when you have at least one client, which proves that you work, try to look for uh, uh, investors to scale. And if you look for investors, try to look for someone that doesn't just give you money because there are, even if you think that everyone is smart money, that is not true. Talk with the, the alumni they have, talk with the startups of their portfolio. Like, look, you know, it's really calling people. Look, they have invested in you. Did they help you find clients? Did they help you find the new round of investment? If they don't, that's not the investor for you. Just try to find out a good investor for scale up. And then during the entire process, 
I really believe that there are no one billion dollar ideas. There are no one billion dollar ideas. I totally, if, if everyone's like, oh, this startup is amazing, the technology is like, it might be, but it's really, really, really about if the person is going to make it happen or not. So surround yourself with people that make it happen because in my personal uh, experience, I can only make things happen and BGI could only grow so much because I I have since moment one be surrounded by people who make it happen. And you know this too, you know BGI team, uh, uh, it's, you know, surround yourself with people who make it happen and that won't just flip on the first opportunity to get a, a, a better paid job. So try to identify people. Of course, everyone has to pay uh, their rents, everyone has to pay food and hospital and everything. So you have to consider that you have to to make it some, somehow attractive to these people. If you don't have money, give equity. Um, but surround yourself with people that can make it happen. That would be my three main main tips. Very good, very good. I, I think the last one is particularly important. You know, for me, always in every business I've been in, it's been the group of founders, the co-founders that have made the difference between success and failure. Uh, in good times and bad. And also, you know, when you're really stuck, the fact that you can count on those people just as they can count on you. You know, when you're at your lowest, when, when everything seems to be defeating you as a person, and then there's still two or three other people kind of like pulling you up and helping yeah. you and you're doing the same for them. You know, it's huge. It's huge. And you can beat everything with that. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have that though, everything can beat you. It's kind of like, it's only so far you get. Yeah. So Tiana, anything you want to say before we finish today? Uh, a question or just uh, just maybe to, to thank everybody uh, and especially Sophia, I got super impressed with, with your visions and views and the experiences from different sides of the story. It's very related to what I do, but then again from, from some different perspectives. So super impressed. I'm going to uh, follow you on LinkedIn and uh, what, what's happening there for sure. And I think that uh, Pedro wants back, too. He's been writing in chat. Oh, oh it's too late. It's too late. He's, he's gone. He's gone. Hang on. Let me see. Got two seconds. Okay. See if we can get him back on just right now. He, he, I think it was a problem with internet. But yes, but uh, I think it's uh, execution is really, really important. And the, I also think it's interesting, at least in our in our history of well, if you look online, it's also the history of all startups. Is that the doers that make it happen at the beginning are not actually the doers that potentially like Uber. The guy that founded Uber is not the one that's going to be the CEO right now because the, the skills of a big corporation CEO and the skills of a startup 10 people CEO is, are so different. Uh, the kind of things that they have to do that is, it's as well interesting to check with kind of what kind of skills do you need to actually pull these up, uh, from a very early stage. Um, because not everyone can do that. Pedro, do you have a final word? He gone very quiet. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't. Okay. I can't hear Stuart. I don't understand if he's talking or not. Thank you for Dijana for putting me in again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have any final words to say? Before before we finish? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. So thank you, Sophia. It's been wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for thank your you your so time you. and your enthusiasm. Uh, and thank you everybody for being here and watching. And I hope if you're watching on our replay or you're watching it right now, that you'll reach out to Sophia afterwards and connect with her on LinkedIn. And we've added a little link at the bottom there. Thanks everybody. Thank Stay safe. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. See you soon. See you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Founder Friday podcast series. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. If you'd like to recommend an entrepreneur or innovator for a future edition, please go to our website, www.canopy.community, and tell us all about them. This series is made possible by the kindness of the members of Hashtag Tribe, along with support from our sponsors, Damia Recruitment, Core Angels Investment, and Ideas Spaces and Coworking. Obrigadíssimo a todos!